Welcome to the U.S. Physiatry Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Lupinacci, Chief Medical Officer. And I'm Craig DiTomaso, the Director of Early Career Physician Development, and we will be your hosts. Physical medicine and rehabilitation is a dynamically evolving specialty with an increasingly challenging and sometimes tumultuous medical world. This podcast is designed to present you with an analysis of facts, expert opinions, and current challenges in the practice of physiatry. U.S. Physiatry is a large and diverse group, and our intent is to present an equally diverse spectrum of viewpoints. It is our perspective that we, as a specialty, must approach these issues with honesty and optimism to advocate to the patients we care for. Our intent is to partner with our colleagues to advance our specialty and to improve your work lives at all stages of your practice. If you have any further comments, questions, or concerns, please contact us at Mike Lupinacci at usphysiatry.com or Craig DiTomaso at usphysiatry.com. We welcome your feedback, questions, and comments, and thank you for listening. I've been instructed to start this session with the following. Each view expressed today is solely the view of the person expressing that view. You should not interpret what you hear today as the opinion or advice of U.S. Physiatry, post-acute physicians, or any of their managers, officers, or other representatives. In addition, you should not interpret what you hear today as professional, medical, legal, business, or other advice for you in particular. If you are seeking that type of advice or opinion, you should speak directly with your own professional advisor. That person will know your particular facts and circumstances. We take very seriously the medical advice our professionals provide to our patients, and that advice is always focused exclusively on that individual patient, taking into account all the facts and circumstances facing that patient after a thorough examination. With those caveats, we can begin. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the U.S. Physiatry Podcast. Uh, This is Dr. Craig DiTomaso, and I am delighted to have our guest, Dr. Natasha Mehta, with us today. Uh, Dr. Mehta is a graduate of Wright State uh, University from medical school. She did an internship in internal medicine at Kettering Medical Center. She completed her residency at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School, where she was a physical medicine rehabilitation resident. She worked in private practice for a few years and then returned to University of Washington and received uh, a fellowship in brain injury medicine. Since then, she's been in private practice and she has focused on wellness and burnout in her career. She works with individuals to optimize their wellness, their motion, and their recovery uh, for individuals with and without disability. She is the um, director and proprietor of the Natasha Meadow MD website, where she addresses all things wellness. And she is the host and proprietor of the Brain and Body Things podcast, where she again addresses a variety of topics addressing wellness and so forth. Um, thank you, Dr. Meta, and welcome to the U.S. Physiatry Podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Indeed, indeed. And today we really want to pick your brain about wellness and burnout. It's an incredibly important and popular subject in, uh, in medicine as a whole, and especially in physiatry. Um, so let's start with the basics. How did you become so interested in burnout and wellness? And, and tell us a little bit about your path in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of happens to to you, <laughs> you know, because if, if, if you feel burnt out or unwell, you got to figure out a way to dig yourself out of it. And that's exactly um, what happened to me. And so um, I just there came a point in in actually this career where I just felt like I no longer 
uh, was interested in doing it and and um, looking for ways to to find my purpose. And you know, I think burnout and wellnut are, are hot topics in medicine, but they are relatively ambiguous terms. Different sources you read certainly present different definitions. Can you tell us in your words, Dr. Meta, you know, how do you kind of define burnout and wellness as topics? So if I were to try and keep it simple in, in a few words, I think I would say loss of interest and purpose, loss of energy, and just feeling like you're searching. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's great. Dr. Lupinacci, I know you had a concern uh, stemming from the uh, American Journal of PM&R article that you referenced. Yes, Dr. Metter, thanks again for joining us on this podcast. I was very interested in some of the organized knowledge base that's been gathered um, in the academic sectors on burnout in PM&R. So uh, many of my questions will revolve around what those studies found. And um, mm -hmm. I, I think that for, for purposes of context, I come from a generation that <clears throat> wasn't the greatest generation, uh, a bit, a bit uh, later than that, but a generation where you, you really didn't talk about how one felt at any point in your medical career. So to me, I think the interest in burnout in PM&R, really in many other fields as well, is incredibly important mm -hmm. uh, for the next generation of doctors and all doctors that are in practice. But what I wanted to bring up on the first uh, thought was in the American Journal of PM&R in the July of 2022 edition, the article was about factors associated with burnout in PM&R residents in the U.S. And I thought this was a nice objective way to look at what we what we knew intuitively was happening, what we know intuitively is happening. Um, and the results of this study suggested one of the highest risk factors for burnout in PM&R residents was a perception of not having adequate time for personal life and family life and that conflict between work and that. Um, there are a couple of other factors that were there but not as prominent as that one. Uh, one was uh, ha residents having to do inappropriate clerical burdens, which they didn't feel contributed to their, their growth or education. And uh, when they had to work long hours on the inpatient rotations with very sick patients, those were also other, other factors that contributed to their feelings you know, of burnout. And interestingly enough, on the positive side, Burnout antidote included a lot of faculty support, which makes perfect sense, right? We all have role models from our residency programs that were super supportive. And, and also the belief that they were performing activities that, that were the reasons why they chose to go in physical medicine or rehabilitation is especially why they thought it would be a great field for them. So if they were doing those duties and tasks, that was an antidote as well. But I'd just be interested with your experience um, and all of your contributions to the, the, the field of wellness, um, if you have some comments regarding 
these perspectives and maybe even some potential thoughts on how we can relieve these pressures going forward. Yeah. Wow, there's there's certainly a lot a lot there. <laughs> um, so I, first off, I do think that generationally we can't ignore the differences too in 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 interests and um, and and needs, I guess, that people are looking for when they're looking at their whole life picture. You know, with that said, I think social connection is so important in terms of, uh, you know, if you're looking at longevity data um, or just overall health data metrics, I think social connection comes out as a very important component to um, to health and wellness. And so with that said, I think as generations, you know, have gone on, there might be more of like an upfront ask for that, like carving out that time to make those social connections, you know? And and so I also think the systemic landscape has changed. I have been fortunate enough to work in several different settings and work with people of all different generations and, and ages. And I think for the most part, the trend that I hear is from our, um, you know, older colleagues is that things have changed. The practice of medicine has changed. And so we can't ignore that either. There is, there is more clerical burden. There are more clicks. There is more documentation. Documentation is harder. And so I think to ignore those systemic changes would be, um, it would it, it would be challenging to really get a whole picture of how wellness you know of the whole picture of wellness in our specialty the insurance landscape is changing right so the things you might have been able to do for a patient 10 years ago is not something that we can do for them now and i think that must be hard as a practicing provider provider to see so you know and i think from a residency standpoint and this is my own opinion, I, I do think that there is a certain amount of sacrifice that's going to be expected to be made when you're trying to train to, in such a short period of time, to become a physician, right? So whether you're being a cert- you're training to be a surgeon or training to become a physical medicine rehabilitation doctor, there is so much to learn. I mean, you're drinking from a fire hose and and a lot of experiences to be had and so there is a certain amount of time sacrifice you know my husband's a surgeon and we've we've had to miss so much in our training in terms of like personal and family commitments and um you know thankfully that was temporary but I, i think residency is 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 just different and and you don't really know what you're getting into until you're there, right? Like you choose to go into physical medicine and rehab because maybe you connect with the people, you connect with the patients, but then you get there and you're a resident and it's not what you expected. (laughs) So um, a lot of these decisions we make so quickly, right? You do four years of college, four years of medical school, maybe some research in between, and then you have to make these really, really quick decisions. And, um, you know, thinking about, that in context, it, 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 there's a lot of things that might not go exactly as you want it to do uh, for you to be, for you to feel well. Yeah, those, those are really great, really great insights. Um, and I, I like the way that they uh, speak the truth, 
right? So, um, I, on that same on that same uh, topic of some of the systemic factors that really contribute to burnout, uh, again another uh, article came out recently, twenty twenty three February in, in PMNR. Um, about the characteristics that were associated with professional fulfillment or not fulfillment and burnout among, again, U.S. physiatrists was specific to uh, the states. And um, there were a number of national studies that suggest, obviously, as we know, PMNR physicians appear to have an increased risk for burnout. Um, and the factors included... Uh, the ability to control their own schedules or not to control, uh, the perception of that PM&R and the clinical care they were giving in their organization at times appears to be suboptimally integrated into the hospital medical system. Um, and also perhaps uh, in some systems there's a misalignment of uh, the organization's value of PM&R and, and in some organizations, there is a misalignment uh, in the teamwork, uh, which is a hallmark for rehab, rehab care. And lastly, um, the, the lack of uh, the feeling that the physiatry clinical contributions may not be as, as well received or celebrated. So again, it's kind of on the same themes that we were just talking about. I would think that a lot of times any specialty would think about those things, but I think in PM and R it's a little more difficult because we we have so many different subspecialties, um, and it's always a challenge to to have a firm foothold in any any subspecialty within our field. Um, but in any event, I'd be interested in some of your your thoughts on those. I think it, they're kind of on the same track of the last study that we we discussed as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think I've been saying, I, I, I definitely stole this from someone I met on the interview trail when I was interviewing for PM&R, but I say it all the time that PM&R needs some PR. We need to be shouting from the rooftops about what we can do and, and, and get people to understand a little bit better. Because I think what happens, particularly in clinical settings, is that when people don't understand, they just assume and they might not assume correctly what you are able to provide in a clinical setting. And I see that all the time. I think culturally, PM&R can be disrespected, um, can be treated, you know, maybe not as a physician colleague in some scenarios. And I think that's that's very challenging, particularly because of everything we've been through and our training and the rigor. So, I, so you know, for me, like, that's a huge not even a huge, it's a subtle thing that I do on my podcast. I mean, every intro that I do talks about PM&R, what we are, tries to se- tries to spell it out in simple terms. Um, the guests I choose are, um, you know, I, I think hard about the guests that I'm choosing and what kind of um, information they're going to be presenting. And I think it's important to get information out to the general public about who we are and, and, and what we do to battle some of these some of these um, points from the study uh, in PM&R. I don't think it would battle all of them, right, to give PM&R a little bit more PR, but um, I certainly think it could help to get us uh, more understanding and value. 
Yeah, again, really amazingly spot on points. Um, Just briefly, I had a phone call with a hospital organization in South Florida yesterday. Um, And interestingly enough, which was wonderful, the CMO of the hospital organization just happened to be a physiatrist. And they were Mm, they were having mm -hmm. uh, he was having trouble. There's trouble with the unit down there. Uh, you know, just challenges, just challenges, not insurmountable. But at the end of our conversation, and this was in a very popular, affluent part of South Florida, he said, you know, what I'm finding is people just don't know what physiatrists have to offer. They just don't, uh-huh. they don't get it. I'm in the Northeast, so most people up here get it. So it's a, it was a good reminder that there's many pockets, as you just said, that they, there's just a lack of awareness and we have to ring the bell from the rooftop. So thank you for, thank you for saying that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Mehta. And thank you for the work that you do to publicize PM&R. I think that's extremely important. Could you maybe hone down, though, for the listener, what are some things they can do on a daily uh, level, you know, kind of on a, a, a more microscopic level to try and fight that burnout on those factors that Dr. Lupinacci uh, mentioned earlier? Yeah. So I think the number one thing is sitting down and self-actualizing for yourself what you need. And I think it's more important than ever to, to, when you start doing this, not seek out advice from those around you because it might taint your, your story. Right. And I think you should just sit down with a piece of paper and be honest with your story. If you want to write down, I want to make money, then write down, I want to make money. Right. Like there's nothing to be embarrassed about when it comes to what you want, what's going to help you feel well, and what's going to help you fight burnout. And then once you have your list of things that you feel are going to make you feel whole, the way you achieve that can be oh so very different, right? Than than the person than the person next to you, um, because no one else is going to advocate for yourself better better than than you can. Um, the example I give, uh, so my dad is a physician and, uh, I was a resident at the time and there was a, there was a big snowstorm coming to where I was, um, doing residency and we were basic, I was on an outpatient rotation and we were basically told, you know, please try and come in for, uh, you know, despite the snowstorm. So, I ran into the day of the snowstorm. I ran into a lot of issues, like car issues. Um, you know, just trying to get my car out of my little parking spot in New Jersey, sliding around. Um, you know, and I called my dad, and I'm just I'm devastated because I I definitely love to work hard, get in early, stay late. I was always trying to soak up as much as I could in residency, and I just felt like I was going to be letting so many people down by not showing up that day. And my dad said to me, you know what? Safety is important. And if your safety is important to you, then no one else is going to stand up for that except for you, right? So I called in. I said, listen, I do not feel safe coming in today. I can't make it. 
and it was fine. Sure. <laughs> it was totally fine, right? Like I didn't, you know, I didn't need to be there that day. And so I had to make my safety a priority. And I think stuff like that, like if you have your list of things that are so important to you, it makes little decisions on a day-to-day so much easier when it comes to advocating for yourself. Uh, what is it that we can do to kind of try and minimize the systemic um burdens that weigh on burnout, right? Because there's lots of, of individual things that we can do, making better decisions, doing those kind of things that are intrinsic to us as people. But there's systemic issues, like you talked about earlier, you know, how many clicks does it take to start a medicine, you know, one medicine on one patient times, you know, 20 patients or whatever you're saying. Uh, do you have any advice on how to kind of mitigate those um, causes or, or um, contributors to burnout? Man, Craig, I wish I had some advice on that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, um, I think if it is, if it becomes like a huge passion of yours, you know, fi- you know, working your way into into leadership roles or, or advocacy positions to to try and help with some of those decision making processes of what um, kind of people on the ground clinically are going to be doing. Um, that's the best way to advocate for those around you. But uh, yeah, some of these things are just happening outside of our control, right? Like administrative decisions that that affect our our daily life. Um so and, and truthfully, I just think it leads to more apathy, right? Like, oh, there's just this oh, just add that to my list of things I have to do today. And so an apathy is really really challenging to fight. And so I, I don't know the 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 answer for for what's going to really um, help mitigate that and control that. Certainly a tough topic. So again, I'm going to refer back to uh, a recent article in PMR, uh, which is exactly the bridging is perfect on this. It's exactly on this this topic we were just discussing about um, a lot of burnout. Um, this is in January of 2019 uh, edition. A lot of burnout is related to unhealthy practice patterns and inefficiency of care on a unit. And so in, in reality, for those of us who are leaders in hospitals, we have a lot of medical directors that it's really the medical director, let's just say in a, in a rehab hospital, medical director, CEO responsibility um, to minimize the sources of burnout. And I'll give you two exa- real-life examples. Another unit, I mean, fortunately, the majority of our hospitals and units in, in U.S. Physiatry are, you know, are doing a, a great job. But, you know, there's the bell-shaped curve, right? So um, one of the, our facilities, I talk to the doctors, and they say, listen, the EMR package they have is terrible. It's, um, it crashes all the time. Um, it takes an hour to put admission orders in. If you call IT on the phone because it freezes, you can't get them. They'll have to call you back. Like, wouldn't that be so stressful? <laughs> that would be, like, unbelievably stressful. Um, it, it's hard enough with an EMR that works, right? So um, one of the things was, again, the, the CEOs of these organizations, they need to have a, a physician and CEO dialogue. Um, of what can we do to help our doctors, you know, feel good about what they do here, right? It should be a dialogue that's part of just about every every meeting 
or every other meeting with your administrators. Mm -hmm. One of our, in, in, in a brief story, one of our internal medicine doctors, who's fantastic, he's our main internal medicine director at our, uh, I'm in a freestanding 60-bed uh, facility. Just amazing. He and his group are amazing. I'm so fortunate. That, that's all I'm going to say about that. But, you know, he came to me and said, Mike, you know, I'm getting so many interruptions in the course of a day. And our patients are sicker. They have 20 active comorbidities. I'm happy to take care of them all, but I can't have six people coming to me to ask the same question. <laughs> so I thought, good point. Let's bring it up at the med exec meeting. So, you know, there's always a way to solve it. And that's always a process issue, mm -hmm. right? How do, how do you get information to physicians so they can act on it promptly, but just have it come from one or at the most two sources and then some verification that that, that issue was taken care of. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I think the medical director and CEO, I would love to see the model be that they, this is a topic that they talk about. How do we, how do we relieve the burden on doctors? So anyways, that just kind of uh, segues from what we were just talking about and some of the solutions. It's, it's really a joint solution in the organization, I think. I really think that having that open communication is so important and people in higher up leadership roles understanding that the burden falls on them too to make this work environment purposeful and to make sure that their employees feel energetic and and inspired to work there. I mean, it, it may sound silly, but that is really going to keep people coming more happy and more well. And, you know, and, and, I, and I, I, I do criticize if we put all the burden on the individual, if we say, hey, you know, do more yoga, meditate more, make sure you're sleeping, all these different things. All that stuff is really important. And sure, the individual should do their best to do all those different things. But it's, it's not just about that. I, I agree. And believe me, that it didn't sound that didn't sound silly at all to me. Not in the least. <laughs> Switching a little bit, since we know that burnout is so prevalent, Dr. Mehta, in your opinion, what are some uh, warning signs that a physician is starting to head towards burnout? And I'm not talking about somebody who's, you know, six feet deep in it already, but how, how can we monitor ourselves to notice that we're headed in that direction? Um, I would pay attention to self-talk. Um, my self-talk occurs first thing in the morning and last thing at night, because those are my quiet times. And just thinking about, you know, doing a, a self-assessment of, of, you know, how happy am I? Am, am I looking forward to uh, going to work the next day? Or do I feel more frustrated more days out of the week than not? Yeah, I think that's great insight. And um, I, it makes you wonder, you know, how many people have that problem? And is this a bigger problem on our specialty than, than we know? I know Mike has uh, another article he wants to cite for that, so I'll let him take it back over. But it it, it is concerning that that's um, possibly so prevalent within our specialty, you know? Uh, yeah, there was. I, I don't mean to bombard the webcast with articles, but I was really surprised about the number and the quality of articles in the last two years that came out uh, on PM&R burnout. And... Um, the another, another article that came out, and this was um, PM&R in September of 22, it looked at the, the unique stressors for inpatient rehab facilities, um, including, as we all know, uh, those of us who work in inpatient care, the CMS regulatory demands, late admissions, understaffing, 
on-call responsibilities, all major stress points. Um, and one of the relief valves have been the, the increased use of physician extenders and uh, the use of you know, advanced practitioners um, seem to be able to help mitigate physician burnout working as a team with an extender. So I, I think you know, um, the issue would be, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, working as a team and increasing your, your reach without increasing your exhaustion as much. Yeah, I think absolutely. There's so much opportunity there um, to work with physician extenders um, or advanced practice providers. I personally have enjoyed working with those type of providers in different types of settings. Um, And it can certainly help diffuse some of the uh, extra clerical burdens that 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 have been called on us in those uh, inpatient rehab settings. So I mean, I worked um, in an inpatient rehab setting straight out of residency, and you know, I was fortunate enough to be given a medical director role there, and um, it was such a great experience. Um, you know, but going back to my kind of personal self actualization list and what I was looking for, uh, I felt like working in that setting was not going to fit the bill for me. So I ended up, you know, finding a different role. And I, and I think that's okay too, you know? So you can, you can work as much as you can within what's given to you and try and mold the situation by advocating for yourself, advocating for the, by those around you. Uh, but then also, you know, if you personally find that it, it's not working out, um, you can gracefully bow out. Really excellent points. And the only thing I, I had wanted to add was that um, uh, physician extenders often seem like a panacea, but sometimes they bring their own problems. Um, I know personally I have had some challenges in working with physician extenders. Um, do you use physician extenders? Do you have any insight on that, Dr. Meta? So right now in my current job, I, I, I do not. I do not work, but in, in um, my previous work, I had. One of the other interesting um, findings uh, in the studies was that 60% of physician leaders of ERFs inpatient rehab facilities felt that late admissions were a major stress point for physicians, uh, and only 18% reported having implemented admission cutoff times. And I'm bringing this up because this, uh, from our experience, is a common complaint um, there, there are two sides to the to the coin, of course, as there always is in medicine. <laughs> yeah. One is, uh, you know, the hospitals will say, you know, we have to take them when they when they're sent, and sometimes it's just a, oftentimes it's just a transportation issue. There's not enough ambulances to bring them earlier, right? There's not enough drivers. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, um, if you if physicians are required to put in late admission orders then that's, that's a definitely a quality of life, you know, issue for them. So I talked to, uh, um, yesterday was a big phone call day. I talked to another, another physiatrist who happened to be a CMO of an organization saying that, you know, I'm trying to implement for the rehab or rehab sector a cutoff time like 8 p.m., uh, for admissions, but you know it's it's kind of an uphill uh, climb with the institutions 
because um, they feel they need to service their, you know, their catchment area at any time. So, I, you know, I don't know. To make a long story short, I think it is it is a source of stress for doctors. I don't know what the solution is, because sometimes you know patients. I'm, I'm in Harrisburg. We have patients flying up from Florida, and they, you know, the jet arrives. The the angel jet arrives at midnight, and then there you are. So. I don't have a solution for it, but I thought I would bring it up because for inpatient, I know it's a big, I hear that a lot from some of our inpatient uh, medical directors. Yeah. And I think that's a good example of, you know, like if you think back to your physician extender uh, roles as well, oftentimes those roles are more, sh- um, are, are enticing if they're shift based, right? So um, like if somebody in that role is looking for a quote unquote, evening shift or something of that nature, or that kind of fits in their lifestyle. And then, you know, you could work that out at your institution where, you know, your physicians are working up until a certain time and then the physician extender takes over. Um, I think the problem is whether or not that person can, you know, do the H&P and the initial eval and, 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 and put all, put in all the orders, you know, without them being seen by, by a physician that night or if, you know, it would be okay if the physician saw them the first thing in the morning. I think there's a lot of different um, things to think about in those set in those settings, but certainly worth, you know, taking our minds there to see how we could help the, the system. No, absolutely. And I think this is one area where we as physiatrists have to turn this burnout equation on its head. Um, I've been involved in a lot of different inpatient rehab units. You know, I think that's one of the nice contrasts. Mike has been with the same unit for a number of years, where I have bounced around quite a bit in my career. And um, the late admits come up at every single unit everywhere in the country, as far as I can tell. And we as physiatrists, if we can come up with a systemic way to handle those late admissions, to keep the patient safe, but to minimize the burden on us, it really is a win-win for everybody. Um, if you try and wrestle the bear every single night, you're going to burn yourself out in no time. And so, you know, I think that that really is where we've got to start thinking outside the box and look at the systems and figure out how we can optimize things. Um, and I think obviously physiatrists are very good at that, but if we don't think of the equation upside down, so to speak, um, we're going to end up doing a ton of work and a lot of clerical work and it's going to burn everybody out. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Metter, I really like your um, your your story about uh, being um, torn between our sense of duty as physicians, which we are probably one of the f- few professions that maintains that to the highest degree of it, of our times, and our our own personal. Strength and abilities to manage in a very complex, complex medical world. I, I think that was a great story, because I think we all feel that, right? It's like you know we're not going to abandon someone that's admitted at midnight just because they happen to have a flight, you know, a <clears throat> medic flight in Florida. So I don't have the answer to that, other than I think it was nice that you, you know, volunteered that as a common, a common, and it's a stressor for us all when we're torn between those two. But but I also like the fact you just have to be honest with yourself and say, you know, <clears throat> what can I do? What do I want to happen? What do I don't want to happen? And, and provide energies towards the, those personal goals and, you know, family goals and things like that. Yeah, I always think it's important. I'm, I'm always saying, you know, the word advocate 
advocate for yourself and what you need and all those different things. But it is true that in this profession, we have so many different things to consider consider in advocating for ourselves, you know? Like I've, I've totally been there. I've totally driven to the, you know, inpatient rehab unit at two in the morning because someone had flown in that night, you know? And so sometimes you... We, we we do have to go um, above and beyond, and I think there's there is beauty in that <laughs> in our field, right? The fact that we um, we are needed in such a way, um, but I think that can circle back and provide some people that purpose, right? Like some people might might love that. Like I'm thinking about my friends who are trauma surgeons or or cardiologists or you know like they they thrive in that. <laughs> um, so I do think that um, it's 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 a tough decision to make when it comes to advocating for yourself, and then it's also important to think about it in context of well, who's going to be doing that work if you don't, you know? And and then I I think we run into trouble if we're constantly just looking out for ourselves and not thinking about the whole picture. And that's where we can circle back to the teamwork idea too. As important as you are in this equation and advocating for yourself is going to be in this equation, the, we can't ignore, you know, this choice that we made, this, this, this oath that we took to, to work in this space. And if you're, if you're going to take the job, then sometimes you'll have to make the sacrifice and, you know, do the job. Well, I find that to be a very, very refreshing uh, set of statements you made. So, and thank you for that because it's all true. No problem. <laughs> so, Craig, you had some questions about mentors and coaches. I thought were were kind of really interesting. Earlier in the podcast, uh, Dr. Meta, you and Dr. Lupinacci were talking about getting engaged with the CEO and finding ways for your hospital as a system to minimize the burnout on physicians. That reminds me of how important it is sometimes to have a colleague or almost like a coach, a mentor, to help you through this process. A burnout buddy, maybe, is another term. Tell us a little bit about any mentors or coaches you've had along the way, Dr. Meta, and how that relationship works to help fight burnout. So I've never had an official coach, you know, in in the way that you can hire, you know, a physician coach or a leadership coach or an executive coach now. I've certainly thought about it. Um, I do do see the benefit there in terms of accountability and organized kind of structured methodological (laughs) kind of approach to to uh, to burn out or you know whatever your goal is for for using a coach, um, you know me personally I have thought about it in terms of you know getting a coach for leadership or executive uh, executive roles, but you know in, in the context of of burnout, I have mostly just listened to podcasts <laughs> about. Um, you know, of other coaches putting a lot of just like free information out there and um, similar things to what I've been talking about already, you know, self-actualizing, organizing, um, you know, time management skills, all those different things. I mean, sometimes it's just hard to do. And so I think that if you need a coach to help get you through that, then by all means, I think that's a great, a great route to go. So here on this podcast, in the course of our 
each of our busy work weeks. We have three busy multitasking PM&R docs. And we all, all three of us do a lot of work for uh, our patients and our hospitals and our programs and for many national organizations um, related to physical medicine rehabilitation. And I'm, that's a lot of multitasking. We all, all three of us know that. Um, I'm really interested in how each of us creates our own wellness and in what domains. Uh, you know, I, I think um, since uh, Dr. Meadow, you're our special guest, I'm going to ask you to go first, but uh, and then Craig, you can uh, move on from there, and then uh, me uh, lastly. But I, 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 let's consider ourselves real life case studies in PM and our wellness because I think that's at minimum what we are. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm happy to go. Um... My wellness story in PM&R in this profession has certainly developed with me. Um, you know, I've made personal, I've made career choices based on my my personal life, and I I'll never regret that. Um, I yeah, I so I originally thought I was going to go into pain pain medicine, and I you know was doing a going into that fellowship route and all these things. And it was going to mean to do that. It was going to mean another year apart from my now husband because we had been training in different cities. And so I remember being very stressed about this decision at the time, but I made the decision for myself that I wanted to close the gap, physical gap that we were experiencing. And I, and I've, I've honestly never looked back. So that's a small example of how I, um, you know, eventually this career, because it is so time consuming, forces you to just kind of make decisions that are going to be in concert for what you want personally and professionally. And then, you know, in in terms of my day-to-day, I absolutely love to exercise. I'm probably an exercise-aholic, and that's not everyone's story, but I absolutely love it. It brings me joy. It keeps me centered. And so I find a way to fit that into my, to my life. And then um, professionally, I've sort of mentioned this already earlier in the podcast, I've held a couple of different um, roles as a physiatrist and learned along the way what I want and what I don't want and have really tried to um, kind of create the daily work life that 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 I can enjoy as best as I can <laughs> within the systems that we're given. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that meant not working in an inpatient rehab unit. Um, and so I do now I do uh, consults um, and outpatient work. And that is, is is going well so far, but I'm sure this will evolve as I get older and my and my personal and professional um, duties change. Thank you, Craig. Sure. So my secret for battling burnout is stolen directly from the tweets of Mark B. Reed, M.D., who is a hospitalist in Colorado and runs the Medical Axioms Twitter page. Uh, I can't find the exact tweet at this moment, but to paraphrase it, burnout um, doesn't come from not having enough yoga time or sleep or whatever it else is that we think we need to do. It comes from not being connected with your work. When you're feeling burned out, don't run away from your work. In fact, that'll make it worse because your mind will be split further. Spend extra time, but don't spend it typing on your keyboard or working on an H&P. Spend it in the rooms of the patients who you care most about and connect with them and their story. Understand their suffering and why you show up every day and what it is you're doing there. And if you do that for a day or two, 
pretty soon you'll figure out you're not burned out. And so whenever I start to have those negative thoughts or feelings, feeling disconnected or just not um, emotional or emotionally connected to what I'm doing, I do try and carve out an hour here or there, which is tough, right? Because we have kids, we have, we know that exercise is important. We want to do other things with our time, but really cutting out that hour and just spending the entire hour with one of the patients and seeing what they're doing and why they're doing it and what they're working towards. um, To me, that has always been very good advice and I think is my best burnout fighter. Craig, that's perfect. I I think that's, that's fantastic. Uh, So I, I could be, I could be considered someone of a certain age uh, which is great. I'm, I'm at a great age now. And, uh, but I think as we get older, we kind of structure our thinking even more, right? So I, I kind of structure my wellness. Um, it's really a balance. Um, uh, I try to attend to my physical health and all aspects of that. And, and then, of course, my, my family connections and social connections, I, I really, I, I have to plan ahead. So um, I'm kind of a planner. So if I plan a date with my wife and make sure that that happens, then that's how I, I keep things together uh, with, uh, with, with she and the dogs. It all goes over well. Um, and uh, concentrating on emotional health through my uh friends and connections and keeping a tab on how I'm personally doing in that domain as well. And then uh, lastly, uh, my spiritual health, which is different from everybody, and it's not necessarily related to religion. Uh, and Craig, as you were, you're saying, you know, sometimes I'm walking into a very difficult patient room with a difficult family, and it's okay because things aren't good for them at that moment. And sometimes I just have to inhale and feel like I'm getting some spiritual assistance um, from anywhere it will come and then step into the room with that. And that really helps me um, focus on, um, you know, as Dr. Mehta said, what what our resolve was, why we became physicians, how we're going to manage this, how we have as much knowledge, experience, and skills as anyone in the world to step into that room and try to do the right thing. So, and beyond that, I mean, day to day, you know, I, I do uh, weight training and cycling and yoga and Pilates. I do all that stuff and I like it. It's very, it's a healing, all those combined heal, uh, heal me. Uh, being with my dogs and taking an hour walk with the two of them is a healing thing for me as well, like the outdoors. Um, and then, you know, I think as, as, um, you know, my recommendation as people mature in, in certainly the field of PM&R, I mean, physically mature, I always um, like to remind people there are four horsemen that they need to um, keep tab, tab of as far as prevention and risk mitiva- uh, mitigation. And obviously it's the big four, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, and neurodegenerative disorders. As much as you can stay uh, ahead of that curve with what modern science recommends, I would recommend anybody as they move on in life. Uh, I think physicians are more attuned to that, but um, anybody needs to keep track of their own personal health because that kind of holds everything together. So that's, that's kind of my wellness uh, uh, paradigm right now. I love that. That's great. Both of your answers are amazing. 
I think that will conclude our podcast. I really want to uh, thank you, Dr. Meder, for being on this on this uh, recording with us. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. It's interesting how well you can get to know some people when you're talking about a certain subject that's that's uh, pretty uh, important. And uh, I loved your insights. I think all the work you're doing is amazing. I want you to carry on as long as you can because it helps people, it helps physicians, it helps physiatrists. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate all those, all those, all that effort and energy. And you bring a lot of positive energy to our field. And I, I just want to recognize that and thank you for that. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be here and uh, and chat with you guys. All right. Our closing question for all of our guests is always, when we come to visit you in Columbus, Ohio, Dr. Meta, where are you going to take us for pizza? Oh, my gosh. I didn't know. Um, okay. I uh, will actually just have you in my backyard because we just got an uni pizza oven. So, I'll, And I love cooking. So I'll whip you guys up some pizzas. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'm there. Yeah, well, we'll wait for the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.